The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. In your headlines this hour, new rules. The sale of TikTok's U.S. operations could hit another roadblock after China's Commerce Ministry tightens its regulations on technology exports. Asian stocks rise in the final day of trade for the month after the Dow erases this year's losses. And the S&P 500 looks set to have its best August in nearly four decades. The Oracle of Omaha effect, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway buys stakes in Japan's five leading trading companies, sending shares there higher. And Chinese manufacturing activity continues to expand in August, but slightly misses expectations while services accelerate, spurred on by a recovery in demand in the mainland. So good morning, everybody. Thanks for your company this Monday morning. Let's kick off with ByteDance. ByteDance's hopes of divesting TikTok's US assets have been set back after the Chinese government tightened its technology export restrictions. The new law means the potential deal may require Beijing's approval. So what does that mean in reality for the deal at all. Arjun joins us uh, from southern China with more on the story. Arjun, good morning to you. Does this effectively mean that any deal is now dead? Good morning, Jeff. Well, I don't think it's uh, dead yet, but certainly what China is saying is they want to have a say in this deal in some shape or form. What that might look like is unclear yet. And it goes back to the uh, export list you just uh, mentioned there. There is a list that uh, requires certain technologies get a license before they can be exported around the world. China amended this list, which it hasn't touched since 2008. So clearly uh, not a coincidence on timing, given the, the ramping up of China-US tensions and this looming TikTok sale. But one of the things they added that requires a license and government oversight for export is around technology based on data analysis for personalized information recommendation services. That sounds a lot like what TikTok technology is based on the algorithm, very much focused on recommended uh, new videos to users. Now, Xinhua, after the state-backed media, published an article citing a trade advisor saying that ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, will likely come under these new rules, will likely require a license given the fact that any sale will require some form of technology transfer from China over to the US. So clearly, China here, perhaps not wanting to tank a deal, but certainly wanting perhaps to get involved in what the terms of that deal look like, or at least have some say in some form. And just switching tact a bit, of course, we got this ongoing sale process happening. Microsoft and Walmart have teamed up for a bid. You've got Oracle in the mix as well. Uh, on Friday, our colleague stateside uh, spoke to Vanessa Papas, who's the interim CEO of TikTok, and asked about what some of those options look like for the company. Let's listen into what she had to say. If you look at the various uh, players and uh, the partners that we're, we're hearing from, I think they're amazing tech companies. You know, Oracle has its strengths in terms of uh, being a leading uh, data infrastructure company and, and focused on security. Um, Microsoft as well, a uh, great security and privacy platform, uh, as well as everything they're doing with the cloud. So, yeah, I, I think um, 
amazing, reputable companies, uh, and we're certainly flattered for that. So China, I think, really looking to flex its muscles, showing that it has some options, at least, to push back against some of this U.S. pressure. One thing is for sure, it adds uh, much more complexity to what is already a very fast-moving and unusual situation. Jeff, back to you. Yeah, Arjun, this is fascinating. So, I mean, it does show, as you point out, that a, a narrative that's largely been controlled by President Trump and the White House so far uh, suddenly has been pushed on the back burner by the suggestion now that China may outmaneuver uh, the American political aspect to this story. But what are the consequences uh, then if we look beyond ByteDance and TikTok to other Chinese technology companies and the potential Western acquisition of those companies. Does this just deepen the barriers to market access for Western companies when it comes to Chinese tech? Certainly in terms of acquisitions or any kind of merger activity, for sure, Jeff. I mean, when I was looking through that export list, there were not just this one article sort of relating to TikTok that was added, but there were other areas, the likes of uh, semiconductors, cryptography, some of these other areas where China has put a lot of government-backed effort into building and trying to catch up with some of the US expertise on. They've clearly put that onto the list to make sure that China itself is holding uh, sort of some of the strategic cards, as it were, in these future technologies. I mean, if you think about it, it's not much difference to, to some of the things uh, the US has done around its semiconductors and restricting restricting the export of those and some of the other strategic technology to Chinese companies. I think this is effectively putting up more barriers for sure. And as we talk about decoupling in various areas, technology really front and center of that, that really seems to only accelerate this process going forward and, and you know what the internet looks like going forward as well, where you've got a system perhaps based on uh, US technologies in, in certain jurisdictions and regions and some based on, on Chinese apps and Chinese uh, technology as well. And I think uh, it's a process that's continuing to evolve. And this is certainly another sort of move that accelerates that shift. Arjun, terrific. Thank you so much for uh, helping us understand then exactly what's happening here with the Chinese government's angle on TikTok and ByteDance. And quite frankly, it's something new for the markets to have to conjure with as we come into a new trading month and ultimately to the end of the month of August, which has been quite astonishing, hasn't it, in terms of some of the gains we've seen for technology companies, the month where Apple effectively became a $2 trillion dollar company and it's pretty clear uh, how strong the gains were across the month for technology companies and Apple specifically but let's show you the broader Nasdaq just to give a sense of uh, exactly how the technology sector as a whole has fared across the month of August and I have to admit I was here at the beginning of the month pointing out that August tends to have a bit of a checkered record historically not as bad as September but ultimately, Augusts over the years have not been terrific months for equity gain. And yet you wouldn't know that, would you, if you looked at some of the uh, market performances that we've actually seen over the course of the last uh, uh, 28 days or so. Let's just show you what the S&P looks like on a similar chart. So we had um, slightly uh, less emphatic gains as far as the S&P is concerned, but we are still pushing into 
new numbers as far as this broader index uh, in the United States is concerned. Uh, one thing that it is worth pointing out is just the disparity we see between the S&P and the Dow at this stage. A terrific piece of research uh, from our in-house uh, team here. Just looking at the outperformance that we've seen in the S&P over the Dow, the greatest uh, since 1932, uh, which is quite astonishing, isn't it, really? But it just shows you just how far the rubber band is being stretched in some of these particular sectors. So the, the Dow also putting in a strong gain for the month of August as a whole. Uh, let's just talk about the dollar because the dollar has waxed and waned as we've seen sentiment shift around the decisions taken by the Federal Reserve here. And I have to say, for all those in the market who are dollar negative at this point, you can still find plenty of dollar bulls, uh, those prepared to believe that in a uh, world where we have incredibly low interest rates globally and central banks struggling to create the conditions for growth to pick up and we are still fighting the pandemic, those on the bullish camp for the dollar argue that it still represents the safest and the most attractive place to park cash at this point if you decide to step out of other asset classes at this stage and you are not interested in owning gold. Let's just leave the assets uh, here. Let's talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester has told CNBC the economic recovery will be slow and more support will be required. Mester's comments came after Fed Chair Jerome Powell announced the central bank will allow inflation to overshoot its 2% target in a bid to stimulate the economy. The FOMC voting member backed the measure but did acknowledge equity markets are inflated. I don't feel right now that we are engendering an asset bubble. I do feel that we're supporting the economy and we're doing what we can to make sure that financial markets continue to function and that credit continues to flow to both households and businesses. We're going to be looking at financial stability issues as we do monetary policy going forward. Yes, stock prices are elevated and you're right to point that out. Loretta Mester there was speaking to CNBC Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker also downplayed the prospect of a quick recovery. Right now, I mean, you're seeing some signs of recovery, but basically it's moving sideways. I mean, we still have 27 million uh, who are on some form of unemployment. And it, we won't get fully back uh, to the kind of employment we, we really, we had this great employment picture before the crisis uh, for quite a while. And if you think about it, right, it took us two years to go from 5% unemployment to 4% unemployment. It took another year and a half to go from four to three and a half, where we were before the crisis. So it will take a while for the employment situation to heal. Well, meanwhile, St. Louis uh, Fed President James Bullard show, uh, shared his inflation expectations. Inflation has run below target, uh, certainly by half a percent for quite a while. So it seems like uh, you could run above for a half a percent for quite a while. Uh, the idea here is to cement inflation expectations at the 2% target because you really want that credibility uh, all the time. That's a, a key aspect of central banking. And uh, I think that this lower bound or the zero lower bound 
uh, is, uh, is kind of dragging average inflation down over time. Uh, Jim Bullard there, St. Louis Fed president. Well, Bill Diveny joins us, senior economist for ABN AMRO. Bill, good morning to you and welcome. Thanks for, for being with us here. Um, good morning. What are your expectations here? Do you think we will continue to see inflation in the US undershoot for some time to come? I do. Um, I mean, if you look at the past um, eight years uh, that the Fed has has had a, an official 2% target, they've only met that target once in one year. And now we're in a situation where we have enormous um, spare capacity in the economy, unemployment likely to stay elevated for, for you know, perhaps years. Um, so, so all of this really means a, an environment of, of low inflation for, for some time to come, I think. Um, so, so I think this, this, uh, this move by, by the Fed is, is uh, really very significant um, given, you know, how subdued inflation expectations have been and how, how important it is now to, to try to anchor them in a better place. Well, that's interesting that you say it is very significant because my question would be how convincing actually is this shift in the guidance? They didn't give us anything on yield curve control, nothing about nominal GDP targeting, things that perhaps would have seen a a very significant shift in the way assets were being priced. There was a little bit of ho-hum, it felt to me, in the way the, the yield curve responded to this, given it didn't really tell us how the Fed intends to get to that 2% target. No, it didn't. But, but, I, but I think what it does do is tell you how long rates are going to stay low. Um, I think in the, in the previous kind of framework that we had from the Fed, they would have been raising rates before you even get inflation at 2%. In the past, it, just having unemployment at, at exceptionally low levels was, was enough to, to drive the Fed um, uh, to, to raise rates. And now it's, it's a completely different uh, uh, framework, I would say, because even when unemployment gets to those low levels again, even when inflation gets to 2%, the Fed is saying it will still keep uh, uh, policy accommodative, so and perhaps for some years after after we've got to that stage. Um, so so I think it, it sends to me a very strong signal that, that you know we we we're, well we're in for a very long period of lo- of low rates potentially four or five years, um, and you know that that should tell something to, to markets. You have you have seen inflation expectations in in, in markets um, pick up. Um, and and I and I think you know most market participants in, in any case expected rates to, to to stay on hold for some time. But but I think where this this will have a, a bigger impact is further down the line when um, when the economy when the recovery starts to pick up steam. And normally in that environment, market would start to, to price in in rate hikes. And uh, and and where this guidance helps is is in um, preventing that. 
Uh, Bill, I just walked the wall. I looked at the performance of various uh, markets uh, through the month of August, and all we've seen is asset prices grind higher through the month of August and some very notable gains for stocks like Apple. Will the action that's been taken here at Jackson Hole ultimately just pump up asset prices further and convince those who are buying equities at this point that the Fed really has got their back? I think there, there is that risk, certainly. Um, but, but the Fed, it's, you know, it's really focused on, on a bigger risk from, from the economy and, and from the fact that unemployment is so elevated and, and that you have a risk of inflation expectations moving, moving further lower. And I think the Fed sees that as a much bigger risk than the risk of, of popping up um, asset prices. And in the end, you know, monetary policy is is quite a blunt tool um, to use to to counteract elevated asset prices. The Fed does have other tools uh, to to deal with those kind of things. Think, for instance, of of um, the the countercyclical capital buffer. Not much use of that was was made in in the previous cycle, um, but but that could be an option. Um, you know, this, this this time around. So that would force. Uh, banks to hold more capital against the risk of, of higher um, loan defaults. Um, those kind of tools, I think, a bit more targeted are, are a better way, perhaps, of, of dealing with um, asset price bubbles than, than, you know, slowing the entire economy in order to, to bring asset prices down. And I, I think, yeah, given this, this balance of risks at the moment, um, um, the, you know, the, the Fed is, is, is probably focused on the right things at, at this moment in time. Well, where does that leave us now in terms of expectations around the September meeting? Well, I think there are some, some key questions still over, over this policy. Um, the wording was rather vague. I thought it was interesting, the, the, the comment you just played from, from James Bullard, um, St. Louis Fed president. Um, he suggested that um, the Fed would take into account the fact that inflation had already been below uh, target for, for the past few years. That suggests, because the question for me was, okay, when does this policy actually uh, kick in? Is it from now or does it, does it you know, acknowledge the fact that inflation had already been below target for a time? Where his comments suggest to me that, that they do take that into account um, and that therefore they're already going to be trying to, to engineer, um, you know, above 2% inflation. Um, and and I, I'm guessing you'll get some, some, you know, questioning on that from Powell at, at the press conference um, um, next month over, you know, where he sees that. I imagine there's probably a range of views um, on, on the committee. And I think it will be hard for markets to, to you know, take a clear judgment on that and until you get the, the full range of views there. Bill, a pleasure catching up. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Bill Diveney joining us from ABN AMRO, senior economist at that bank. Well, still to come on the programme, the FDA chief says he is willing to fast track the approval of coronavirus vaccines before the trials are finished. More details on the comments when we come back. Stay with us.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Global coronavirus cases have surpassed 25 million as India set a new record. The country added 78,000 new infections, taking the total number past three and a half million. Meanwhile, the U.S. is fast approaching six million cases as several states in the Midwest reported a surge. Places like Iowa have seen outbreaks after allowing students to return to university campuses. And in Europe, the UK has reported over 1,700 new cases, the highest level since early June. This comes as children are set to physically return to schools over the next few weeks, in most cases for the first time since March. FDA Chief Stephen Hahn has indicated he could fast-track the approval of a coronavirus vaccine before the completion of Phase 3 clinical trials. The commissioner told the Financial Times he would be willing to grant emergency authorization if benefits of the potential vaccine outweigh the risks. Juliana has been covering all things uh, vaccine-related for us over recent months. Juliana, morning. Good morning. Um, Look, we won't know if it's truly safe until we've completed the trials, surely. So what does this announcement actually mean? Well, to this point, we heard from the former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, who's a contributor to CNBC. He spoke on the back of this these comments from the current FDA commissioner saying it doesn't really make sense that he would say we could get approval before phase three is over because phase three results are based on events. So essentially, it's based on the number of people in the trial who've been exposed to the virus and have contracted the virus. So the results will be entirely based on uh, the number of people in the active group who've uh, who've resisted infection versus those in the placebo group who have uh, have been infected. So the most likely scenario is that we will not get results before November. That's according to the former FDA commissioner. Now, these comments from the current FDA commissioner, Stephen Hahn, come about a week after President Trump accused the FDA of intentionally moving slowly to hurt him politically. Now, he insisted in this uh, FDA uh, FT interview that he won't uh, approve this vaccine on a fast-track basis to please Donald Trump. He said that um, he is open, though, to approving a vaccine uh, bypassing the normal approval process to do so, to authorize uh, emergency use. So, uh, and again, this is uh, Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA chief, weighed in saying that this is a possibility that we get emergency youth authorization before we get bigger approval because the requirements are different. So we could be looking at emergency use authorization uh, potentially in October in an absolute best case scenario. More likely November is still an ambitious scenario. That's according to the former chief. And uh, in terms of full approval, we might be looking at mass vaccinations. The uh, former chief says full approval is really a 2021 event, maybe first quarter if things really progress well. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So just casting our eye more broadly across the runners and riders in this vaccine development story, anybody looking able to bring something to the market in the fourth quarter 
before we get into Q1 next year, apart obviously from uh, what the Russians have done at this stage? Well, we are actually, we've seen the the UK last week, a story uh, came out that the UK was considering using the domestic regulator to potentially authorize emergency or temporary approval of a vaccine before the European body. So we have governments looking at ways to get these vaccines to specific vulnerable groups before widespread um, distribution of the vaccine. So that's something that could potentially happen this year if we have enough data out of these phase three trials. And again, the phase three trial readouts are based on events. So it's difficult to predict how quickly we will get these uh, trial results. It totally depends on the transmission rate in the different regions where the vaccines are being trialed. So the more highly uh, trans, the, the more highly the virus is transmitting, the, the faster we may get these results. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.